0: to another sermon podcast presented by Chelsea Presbyterian Church located in Chelsea Alabama we value community fellowship and love for people from all walks of life for more information find us online at www.chelseaprez.org or check us out on Facebook uh, today we're at the end of our sermon series that we have gone through in first and second Samuel And I want to thank you on the outset for your patience. Uh, The scripture passages, and Kevin has been reminding me of this, the scriptural passages have been very long in the order of worship. And mentally, I think it gets people thinking that it's going to be a long sermon. And my sermons have been a little longer over the last few weeks during this series. Now, I'm not apologizing for that because the sermons, being the word of God that they are, have been very powerful. I've probably never had more great discussions around the series that we just came out of than I have since we started the church. But here at the end, I want us all to take a deep breath and relax. The sermon text today obviously is shorter, the passage. uh, The sermons for the rest of the year will probably actually be shorter as we enter the Advent season. We change our liturgy up a little bit. We'll have a little bit more of a homily than a sermon during the time because we have other scriptural readings throughout the service. But now we're going to look as a culmination of this entire study at the last words of King David uh, that he left with us. So let's sit back today, look at these words, uh, and enjoy what he has to say. <clears throat> 2 Samuel 23, 1-7 through says this, Now here are the last words of David. The oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, and the anointed, of the God of Jacob, the sweetest psalmist in Israel. Here's what he has to say. The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me, and with his with his word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like morning light like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning like rain that makes the grass sprout from the earth for does my, my house stand so with god for he has made with me an everlasting covenant ordered all things and secure for will he not prosper or cause to prosper all my help and my desire but worthless men are all like thorns that are thrown away they cannot be taken with the hand but the man who touches them arms himself with iron and shafts and spear, And they are utterly consumed with fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Help us to look here at the end of our sermon series. Not just on what David has to say, but how it points to you. We've talked about it throughout this book. That our hearts desire leadership. We desire people to act justly. We want presidents and, and people over our companies and people over our churches to be people of justice, to be authentic. But most of all, we also want them not only to be powerful, but be humble in a way that would point us to who we really desire as our leader and our prophet and our priest and our king. And that's your son. Help us to see that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, many of you know, I grew up in a small town. Um, people always laugh when I tell them I'm from Buzzard Roost, Arkansas. You all heard that before. Uh, like I said before, it's between Cottonwood and Snake Island, if you don't know where it is. So there you have the direct instructions there in that way. But it's a real small town. Matter of fact, I was 10 miles from my high school. We didn't even have a gas station. And so when uh, I went to, to um, high school in Carlisle, and that's where I spent a lot of my time in town, But it was so small, I think we had 2,800 people, no stoplights, nothing like that. It was so small, it's impossible, as you know, if you grew up in a small town, to be anonymous. I mean, it's just impossible. Uh, But I tried my best to avoid attention and controversy, even though, and because I was a rebel rouser. I was an instigator. I couldn't help myself. That's just kind of who I was. Uh, I just had to be in the middle of everything all the time. So after this party one night that happened to be on videotape, <laughs> parts of it, parts of it had me involved, after this party one night, a person in my town heard about the whole thing and saw it. Uh, his daughter showed him parts of the party on the video uh, and heard about my shenanigans. And he said, wait, you, I thought you were, are you Roger Mary's boy? I was like, yes. He's like, I thought you were like a preacher or something and immediately like it hurt it hurt me so bad and people said a lot of things about me over the years and y'all know me if you know me I have thick skin but at that point I wasn't just affecting my identity but my parents identity and what I felt like I had been a part of that completely changed someone's perspective not just me but my family see what I realized is by acting selfishly and immorally the more I did that, the more I began to lose my identity. The, I, I began, the further I removed myself from reflecting what my parents stood for in all the right ways and what my parents believed in all the right ways, and they weren't perfect and who they were, Nor the I, in, in their identity, from then on I began to think about this. Even as a young man I thought, what's my identity going to be? How are people going to remember me in this small town? when I leave and go to college or whatever. As a renegade, as a a rebellious son, or a good friend. Later I thought about, am I gonna be remembered as a good neighbor, a good son, a good husband, a good father? These are not only good thoughts to remember when you're young, but as an older person. And today what we're looking at is a song, a poem. And we all know this about David, he was called one of the best songwriters in Israel like we still have book of the songs that's full of his, his songs that he's written and, it, and here he has one crafted at the end of his life so what does a man and we've seen what has happened at the end of his life and it's been bad it's been a, quite a tragedy what is he's remorseful as we saw last week what is someone that says i'm remorseful for everything i did i'm looking back and i feel like a complete failure yet for some reason god still calls me a man after his own heart he still calls me his anointed. What does someone like that, what are they going to say? Well, let's look at it today and and talk about that. We're going to talk about the king as God's anointed. We're going to talk about the king as God's justice. And then we're going to talk about the idea of king as God's reminder to others. And the three points are in there if you want to look at that. So we just read that section where he talks about the spirit of the Lord speaks by me, the words on his tongue. So back to what we said. What would you say to the people around you that knew you were dying or, and you knew you were about to pass away if you knew it would be some of the last words you remembered on the face of the earth? See, David's last words are probably not what you expected. You know, you would think in his mind in some way you're saying, My sons, remember this, or, you know, my daughters, I need you to do this, and I hope you'll always remember me as the man that I tried to be. You don't really see any of that in the song they're not what you expected now it sounds more like a song about god more than just parting words and that's on purpose and it's not just words as you look the stanzas in there uh, it's poetic words it's a song here that he's writing and both are fitting for what we knew about david the warrior poet is what they called him the the the, the man on the heart but also the man on the battlefield both are fitting here when we look at this and it shouldn't take us by surprise because we, and here's what you see in the Bible, and you look back at this, and, and it's a story, people come to the end of their lives, and all of these Old Testament believers gave these final speeches, and you see this in history too, that include warnings, or blessings, or prophecies recorded in the Bible. And these speeches are in turn, most of the time regarded as the last words of them, even if they said additional things after this. So David did say some things after this, but this is really the, the, his, his manifesto here in his last song, his final public declaration here. See, notably, he, he, he claims to be a prophet. He, he talks about this thing as, this is prophecy. It's not just what I am going to be remembered by, but I'm saying, based on what I've seen God, what, in my life and what God has shown me, I'm about to give a prophecy of something. So what is he about to do? See, he describes himself here as a oracle. Which is typically the speech that are ordered by prophets. So what's going to actually happen here? What's he going to say that's so prophetic in his last words? See, his last words are not for himself, not for his family, but for the benefit of everybody in his nation and all the people from here on in history that would come after him. The first thing he's saying here by talking about himself as the anointed is kingship is not an accident in history. God is the one that's in control when leaders rise and they fall. We are not. And as one of the most famous and powerful kings in history, David is pointing to something first and foremost, that this is out of his control. Because he didn't anoint himself. He didn't come in and make himself king. He said, I am God's anointed. He's the one that controls leadership in this way. Well, let me point two here. The king is God's justice or his agent of justice it says verse 3 there the God of Israel has spoken the rock of Israel has said to me when one rules justly over men ruling in the fear of God he dawns on them like the morning light like, the, like the, the sun shining forth on a cloudless day like rain that makes the grass sprout, grass sprout from the earth see these final words actually look forward to not who's coming after him but his successor not his family not anything that's going to happen immediately after that he's looking forward to a day and saying when there's an ideal king that everybody loves this is what happens now certainly we know this and the rest of the story you can can read that Uh, we're not going to go through that at this point in our sermon series um maybe one day we will but certainly his his descendants that came after him. The, the ones that were going to be king after him could look at this as like an ideal description of what real kingship should be. But that is not what David intended. He would hope that his descendants would come and look at that and say, well, you weren't that. I can never be that. What are you talking about, Dad? Like we, this is an ideal, perfect person. This person can, can never exist in the face of the earth. That's exactly what David is trying to get them to understand. So he talks about this ideal leader that rules with justice, and his reign brings new life. It transforms the earth. And it transforms the souls of people. However, we know that no mere human king to this day, and never will be, can has reigned in perfect justice. It's impossible or have ruled in a way that can give lasting life to his kingdom that never ends. See, David wanted justice, but he knew his shortcomings around justice, even his ability to bring justice to his own household when his daughter was violated by her brother. He didn't even bring justice in. He knew he did it all wrong at that point, like we talked about with Tamar last week. Therefore, David knew, and what he's trying to convey is that hope in humanity Couldn't rest on his ability or our ability or any king out there that you think is the greatest king that ever lived. These words ultimately pointed to Christ, whose everlasting kingdom is the only one that can bring life and true justice into the world until he comes. We're going to have to wait. But we still, that's our hope. And as we get older, we have to acknowledge ourselves, just like David did. And we even probably need to say it out loud to our friends and family as we get older. I've did my best. I've practiced good stewardship. Sometimes I haven't. I've I messed up. As a parent, as a friend, as a neighbor, I've done a lot of things wrong. Thank God I'm not in control. And my hope is that they didn't point you to me and say, I can't stand who you become. Armor is in you because you didn't do justice to me. But instead, that you say, listen, I hope that points you to Jesus and you understand you need Jesus far more than me. See, i've made a lot of mistakes in my life and 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 you have too the lives of our friends and family the things that we've done that we look back that we wish we wouldn't have or we have failed those rest in god's hands not ours not mine and thank god for that and david rested in that that's why he can say what he looks like and he sees the incident with Bathsheba, that was adultery the incident with Tamar, where he just as a father not present and just missing the whole situation just sinning against his family and the people around him, left and right, sending a man on the battlefield to die, being passive aggressive because he wanted his wife. Those things could have consumed him and ate him up. And then he looked at the story. He said, "This can't be about me. It's not about me. If it was, like, everything is going to be a tragedy." But he was looking for a comedy that's going to happen, a beautiful thing's going to happen at the end. Let's look at the last point. It says, the king is God's justice. Point number three. Look at verse five. This will be our last point (laughs) for today. For does my house not stand so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant. He didn't say I made with him, right? He has made me an everlasting covenant. Ordered all things and secured. For will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? It's basically saying, it's based on God's promises here. But worthless men, he says, are like thorns that are thrown away. They cannot be taken with a hand. But the man who touches them arms himself with iron and the shaft of the sphere, and they are utterly consumed like fire. One comes and brings life and promises and all of those things. And even in his mind, he says, prospers people like me that don't deserve it and will never get it right. But then there's these worthless men there that you can't even manage because they're trying to do their own, or they're just about themselves, or they're just selfish. And the man who has to even be around them, he better arm himself because they're on the path to destruction and destroy everybody around them. See, these final words, and we see this in the Bible when Jesus comes back, consummation. These are final words that look forward to the kingdom of God. Uh, Jesus said the kingdom is like a parable that he told. He said there's wheat growing up and there's weeds in that. And he's not going to start pulling the weeds up out of here while everything's growing because it will start to disrupt the whole field and you won't be able to grow anything there. He says good things are growing in the kingdom and, and evil is maturing too. And one day he's going to come and He's going to harvest it and it's going to be separated. We have the same contrast here. See there's no doubt future descendants of David Look at this passage for a description of what the ideal ruler of God's people should be. The ideal ruler, as he said, he it brings, it brings justice. He brings life, just as the sun and the rain call forth life from the earth. However, we know, again, no king, uh, human king can do that. From the beginning of the world, they haven't done that. In these words, he's pointing us ultimately, and you know what he's saying? To Jesus Christ, whose eternal kingdom brings life and justice and peace. All the things during Advent that we're going to pray will come true on earth and know that we'll not reap perfection until Jesus comes back. These things like hope and joy and peace and love, we don't seek those here among ourselves. We seek them in the kingdom that God is bringing down and through Jesus Christ. It's the only source of these things. It's the only source of our heart, like David, desire this justice, this peace, and all these things. Something David was striving for, but could never accomplish, and not only couldn't accomplish, he did it horribly. And it was okay with him at the end, because he knew it was okay with God, and it has to be okay with us if we're going to get to this point. Let's look at our, our quote, and this will be the really last thing we talked about today. The quote at the beginning of the bulletin says this, the poems are the songs at the beginning and the end of 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel went to the idea of a desire for God's anointed, something we all had in our hearts. Someone to take control of this messy world, to bring order from chaos. Someone that had the power to act on behalf of God, not behalf of other men, but also not just act on behalf of God, but give justice on behalf of humanity to bring well-being to all of us and to have the power to bring about God's purpose. See, this desire continues today. We have the same desires that David had. We want justice for ourselves, but when we look out in the world, we see unjust acts. We're like, God, how long are you going to let these things go? But see, this hope doesn't end with David. Was David one of God's anointed? Yes, no doubt. In spite of himself, he was. But was he the anointed? Not at all. He knew that and was okay with that. Not only was he thanking God for the fact that something else Someone else was better going to come along after that, but that he would be the real king and not David in the future. See, that took pressure off of David. He didn't have to be Jesus for people because he looked forward to the day when he could. So David's last words here point us the same direction as his whole reign did. For all his success, his failures, for all the tragedy, for all the sin that he committed, and they were egregious. And all the hope he had in God all the prayers that he prayed up, the, 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 the children that he had that lived, the children that he had that died as a baby, all those things point back to David giving the glory to God and giving him over to the eternal kingdom of God and helping that he pointed everybody to a future king of Jesus. See, meditating on Jesus' kingdom and a future kingdom instead of our lives and our relationships and everything else going on in the world, it helps us set our expectations right. Right now, we all have expectations of what Christmas is going to be like or Thanksgiving is going to be like or the Advent season. We have these expectations and every year, and I'm one of those two. I want everything to just kind of line up perfectly, and it never does, especially if you're around. The more folks you're around in your family, the more possibility that it's not going to meet your expectations if you've ever noticed that. Um, and so, but all these things is about setting right expectations for what can be accomplished in life and, and setting expectations for what's not going to happen. It keeps us from trying to put all the control and dependence upon ourselves. And it's freedom there. And it gives us a relief to say, I don't have to be all these things that are out there that only Jesus can do. It keeps us out of depression during times. It keeps us orienting ourselves back towards serving God and serving the Son in everything we do. It sets us off of the circumstances that we're in to a kingdom that is actually coming about now and will continue and will come perfectly one day. Remembering that all the things around us, no matter how much we want them to happen, and no matter how many of our perfections that we are, will not be set right until Jesus returns. But he strengthens us in the meantime with that same power that he's going to bring about a kingdom. He strengthened us to press on right now where we are. Let's pray. I thank you that your kingdom is. In the now, but also not yet, as many people have said in the past, meaning we can see little pictures of your kingdom all around us. Give us eyes to see that, especially this week. But uh, there may be a lot of things that go on this week um, that remind us of dysfunctionality of family, remind us of things that we don't have. Remind us of tensions that we have with other people we haven't seen in a while. Remind us that we, we have this vision of a family that never kind of gets together the way we want it to. Whatever those are, Lord, help us to see through those to your kingdom. Will you break in like the morning sun, and to talk talked about this song, to our cloudy lives and help us to see a picture of your kingdom, a foretaste of that, to be looking for that, to walk by faith and not by sight, to see something beautiful and good and true through all the things that we see this week that could surround us with darkness. And then help us to see the future hope of your kingdom and that one day it will be perfect. One day justice will be served. One day peace will reign in a perfect way on earth. May we pray for those things and may we live in that hope. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon. We want to remind our listeners that our doors are always open at Chelsea Presbyterian Church, and we invite all our listeners to join us for worship. You can visit us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at Chelsea Middle School. To hear more of our sermons from our church or for more information, you can find us online at www.chelseapres.org or check us out on Facebook.